Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I wanted to take a moment to tell you guys about my favorite baby food brand. So I actually don't buy a lot of baby food and I don't use it a lot, but I do like to have some baby food, some pouches on hand just for those moments where I feel like I need something convenient or I need to just throw something in my diaper bag and go. So my favorite baby food brand and really the only one we use now is Serenity Kids. The reason that I love Serenity Kids so much is because they focus on nutrient-dense foods such as pasture-raised and grass-fed meat and organic vegetables. So I know that the quality is amazing and I feel safe and confident feeding it to my baby. You can go to myserenitykids.com and use the code TaylorKulik15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Today, I am super excited. I have Dr. Becky Allen here with me. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist and owner of Genesis PT and Wellness in Dallas, Texas. Um, so we are going to answer a bunch of your questions about the, pel- about the pelvic floor and pelvic health. Um, so Dr. Becky, thank you so much for being here with me today. And I just want you to just go ahead and introduce yourself. And I'm really curious to, to know about kind of your journey to specializing in pelvic health and what makes you so passionate about it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and just answer some questions for your followers and hopefully provide kind of some insight to the pelvic floor world, if you will. So um, like you said, my name is Dr. Becky and I am owner and physical therapist at Genesis PT and Wellness. We're in Dallas. We have a couple locations in the Dallas area as well as we have an OT out and about providing home visits for us. So that's super fun. Um, But as for how I got into the pelvic floor world, it kind of fell into me, to be honest. I never would have guessed that I would be doing this. Um, It's funny, looking back into physical therapy school, my classmates and friends actually would tease me saying, oh, you're going to be that one that does pelvic floor. And I never... I was like, why are you saying that? I would literally never, that's so weird. And I, I still don't know why they would say that, but they knew somehow, somehow they knew. And then fast forward, I graduate, I work in kind of what you think of as general physical therapy. So outpatient orthopedics, low back pain, post-surgical rehab, athletes and injuries, kind of your, your typical kind of physical therapy when you think of physical therapy. Then I get pregnant throughout my first pregnancy, had pretty bad lower back pain, SI joint pain that frustrated me as a physical therapist because I didn't know how to fix it. And it seemed super easy. It should have been simple to me or so I thought, 
but I just kind of limped along through that pregnancy, um, waiting to just not be pregnant anymore because I couldn't fix it. The chiropractor couldn't fix it. I didn't know what was wrong. So I had a difficult labor and delivery with him, my first, um, and then postpartum was just kind of left with, well, what the heck? Pregnancy was difficult. Labor and birth was difficult. And now here I am supposed to just know how to recover from all of that. And again, it was extra frustrating because as a physical therapist and someone who likes to remain active, I, I wanted to know how to safely get back to working out or playing volleyball or, you know, going on a walk. Could I go on a walk? I didn't know. And so I kind of started to dabble research a little bit. Well, you know, what, what are some guidelines that I need to follow? Um, And that's when I realized, oh, this is what pelvic floor physical therapists do. They don't just treat prolapse or incontinence, you know, which we do, but we also are great with postpartum recovery. And that's kind of how I dipped my toes in was just my own recovery and um, recovered well from that, just based off putting my PT knowledge together with my research. A couple years later, get pregnant again, actually one year later, get pregnant again. And that pregnancy and birth was night and day different simply because I knew kind of what to research, what to be doing from a pelvic floor standpoint. And that's kind of what catapulted me to, to think maybe I'll, maybe I'll look at this a little bit. And I, but I still was in denial in my head. I was still like, no, 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 I'm never actually going to do it. I'm never actually going to do that. But then my midwife for my second pregnancy randomly at one of my postpartum visits was like, you should do this. And you should also start your own business in it and also lease space from me and we'll just be a wellness team. This is, I'm like at my 12 week postpartum visit and I'm just like, what? (laughs) She's just like, yeah, that's my like plan for a year from now is I want to have this wellness anyway. So I did it. I don't, I just did. I don't know. I just kind of do things once I get an idea in my head and here I am a few years later down from there. And it's been fantastic. I got my post-professional certificate in women's health physical therapy actually from Texas Women's University, which is the same place I got my doctorate of physical therapy. So I went an extra year after that and got my certification in women's health physical therapy. And here I am. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) So I have to share um, with everybody who's listening, Dr. Becky, that we actually were connected before we were actually connected. So I also went to Texas Women's University. So I guess we were there at the same time. I studied occupational therapy. You studied physical therapy. And so I was scrolling Instagram one day, not very long ago. It was probably just a few months ago, maybe six months ago. I'm not sure. And I, your reels kept popping up. Like I wasn't following you. I didn't know of you, but you're, I kept on seeing your reels and they're really great and funny. And, um, (laughs) so but I realized how familiar you looked. And I think I even saved one of your reels so I could use the audio. And then I saw like a third or fourth reel of yours. And I was like, wait a second, she looks so familiar. Like I know that I know this person. And so I think then it connected that we had had an internship in the same place at the same time. Like we might've overlapped a few weeks and we kind of worked together for a few weeks, but anyway, so we connected that way, but I just think it's funny and it's interesting because um, now we're connected like on Instagram and all of that, but it, it's so interesting how small the world is sometimes yes. and how connected it can feel when we're like across the country from each other now. And we just, I know each other on Instagram again. It is. That's pretty funny. As soon as you messaged me that I was like, you are so right. Like I totally know your face. And I, I think you're right. I think we overlapped for a week or two. Yeah. Yeah. So super cool. 
Um, okay, so I have some questions for you. And I also think that it's so interesting that your classmates were telling you that like you'd be that person that was going to do pelvic health, but also like, was there this, um, how do I want to say this? Like, like a negative connotation or like a negative association? Is that, is that how it is in the physical therapy world? Yes, that's a good way to put it. It's more of like a joke connotation. It's more of like, oh my goodness, there's these physical therapists that are inside women's vaginas or rectums, right? And who would ever do that? That's so weird. And oh my goodness. And I think the joke came up in one of our lectures about learning about the tailbone and the professor was like, yeah, there are certain physical therapists that have training that can go in rectally and actually mobilize this joint at the tailbone. And we were all just, oh my goodness, what? And, and of course, someone's like, that's what you're going to do, Becky. But it kept coming up like with labor and when we learned about birth and things like that. And I, I don't know why it just, but yeah, I would say it's more of a joke thing mm -hmm. than, than a negative thing maybe, but it's yeah. more of just a who would ever do that. Yeah, which is kind of sad and unfortunate because it's such, it's an area that is so needed. Like mm -hmm. there aren't that many really great pelvic floor physical therapists. And it's almost like, do you find that the demand for pelvic floor therapy, therapy is more than you can provide or that providers in the area can provide at any given time? Oh, a hundred percent. It's totally exploding. Just, I think Instagram and social media in general helps a lot just to get the word out. And now like moms are starting to catch on and share it, but definitely are like, I started this business thinking that it was going to be, I'm working three days a week, part-time home with my kids the other two days. And it just immediately from the get-go took off. I had to add a day, a few months in, and now I've hired four therapists. It's, it's insanity. And it's not just because if I'm this great business person and marketer, because we all know that's not the case, it's literally the demand, especially in a big city like Dallas, is just insanity. And there's there's therapists kind of popping up here and there, so that's good, you know, to, to be able to provide help to all these people, but mm -hmm. I would definitely say the demand is insanity right now. Yeah, which, like you said, is a good thing because there's more awareness and the knowledge that women can go and men too. I mean, you treat, do you treat men as well? It's not yes. just men have pelvises too. Absolutely. So, yeah. So um, I personally don't, but I have a Corey, one of my therapists, she actually is our male therapist. She treats women, but will also see men. She has the training for men. That's great. Um, so what do you think, what would you say are some of the biggest myths or misconceptions about the pelvic floor, pelvic health, etc. Love that question. Um, I am all about myth busting. <laughs> and so I think about pelvic floor therapy, right? I think one of the biggest misconceptions or myths is that it's only for women who have had multiple children and now they're in their 60s and now they are leaking or their uterus is falling out or something like that. It's like, there's such a narrowed lens or understanding from like the lay person that what, what pelvic floor therapy or physical therapy is. And that's kind of what people think it is. And it's, that's like a fraction of it. Like, yeah, we would see that, that patient. Right. But it's, it's so much more than that. And I love just educating. It doesn't have to be someone that's had a baby. It doesn't have to be a woman. It doesn't have to be someone that had a vaginal birth. Um, it can be someone during pregnancy. It can be someone trying to get pregnant. It can, 
be someone in menopause, you know, all these different things and all these different issues. And I would even argue to say that as pelvic health specialists, we even have a better understanding of like low back pain and hip pain and sciatica and things like that, because we understand how the pelvic floor affects those diagnoses. Whereas, and I don't want to say a regular physical therapist, because obviously there's fantastic ones out there that are great with low back and hip pain. But I would say just from learning what I know now, I don't know. We always joke, how the heck did we ever treat anyone without examining their pelvic floor because it's everything. And so I think that's a big kind of misconception of what people just even think of pelvic floor therapy in general. And then to the other part of your question, just kind of any myths surrounding pelvic floor dysfunction in general, so many women think simple things like leaking are normal because they're all their friends leak when they sneeze or laugh or when they're exercising, they wear dark leggings because they might pee themselves during the box jumps or something. Or there's so many women who just think, well, sex has just always been painful. So I guess this is just how it is. And that must be my normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, at least in my experience and then talking to a lot of women who have, especially those that have given birth, um, a lot of doctors will dismiss pain and leaking and, and everything that you just described. And what's so frustrating to me is that most doctors, and I hope this is changing, I think it's changing, but I'm not sure if it's changing everywhere. Um, but many doctors don't even know about, they have, they have these misconceptions about pelvic floor therapy and they don't even know what pelvic floor therapy is. And they mm -hmm. don't refer women to, um, who have given birth to a pelvic floor therapist. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that certainly doesn't help when your doctor is telling you this is normal or you just have to deal with it, or, you know, you need to get surgery. That's the only fix. So yeah. Um, I love that. So kind of to, to go along with that, how, how do we know if we need to see a pelvic floor therapy that therapist, I should say. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So my running joke is if you have a pelvis, you should see one of us. Um, <laughs> so everyone, but in general, some of the common symptoms that you would, that you would be experiencing if you had some pelvic floor dysfunction, and I'll just kind of list, a, you know, some of our common ones that we, that we see and that we treat is of course going to be urinary leakage. So whether that's when you're coughing, sneezing, laughing, running, jumping, exercising, racing to the bathroom, and you leak a little bit, all of that counts, um, urinary urgency and frequency. So those women who like, you know, you probably have the friends, right. That are constantly, they're like, let me just go pee before we head out. Or I know I just peed, but I got to go again. So frequency of urination or constantly kind of feeling this urge, even though you just went 30 minutes ago or an hour ago, um, chronic constipation is actually a big one. And that can be just life-changing once we just treat the constipation it can just affect everything else too. Uh, diastasis recti. So that's the abdominal separation in typically a postpartum woman that didn't quite heal right. And um, painful sex is a big one. Pelvic organ prolapse, which again, that's going to be another common postpartum one. Um, and then of course the hip pains, low back pains, all those types of things should be kind of indicators to you that mm, this symptom most likely is coming from my pelvic floor and I need to see an actual specialist, not just my doctor, not just a regular PT. Great. That's awesome. Um, so I asked my followers to send in a bunch of questions for you and they 
they followed through. They sent in <laughs> probably hundreds of questions. So um, we probably won't be able to get to all of them, but I took some of the most common ones and we'll, I'll just start asking you some of these questions. Um, so, can, and this is probably a loaded question to start with, but can you talk about Kegels? Because, you know, a lot of people will just say, just do your Kegels when you're, whether you're pregnant or whether you're postpartum. And I'm really curious about your thoughts about just doing your Kegels. You just wanted to trigger me, Taylor. But, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's um, what I'm good at. I'm very so good at triggering Kegels. people. <laughs> so Kegels. Oh, goodness. It's such a short little word for such a long explanation. I don't know where the heck this idea of do your Kegels came into play. Um, every pregnant woman seems to leave their doctor's office with either a Kegel handout, or even if they didn't get the handout, they, their doctor just says, oh yeah, just, you know, be doing your Kegels. And first of all, research shows that half of the women don't even do it properly. So you think you're doing a Kegel and you probably don't know how, right? Or you've never been taught. So you just do kind of what you think it would be. And 50% of women in this rather large study, I forget exactly how many there were, but it was like a good amount, hundreds, hundreds of women, I think. 50% um, of them were doing it wrong. So they were actually doing the opposite. They were bearing down or pushing instead of doing a, an actual Kegel, which is a squeeze and a lift of the pelvic floor or a contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. And so just from that standpoint, half of us aren't even doing them the right way, right? So if you think that you need to go be doing Kegels, you have a 50% chance that you're doing them wrong anyway. Mm -hmm. And the other side of the coin is a very small percentage of us actually need to do a Kegel because our pelvic floor muscles, the way that they work is I kind of describe them as they're anticipatory and responsive. So we have voluntary control of them. Like I could sit here and I could do a Kegel on command, but when we're in our regular day in life, walking around, lifting our kids, exercising, sneezing, our pelvic floor should be functioning without us telling it what to do. So mm -hmm. you can practice Kegels all day long, but if you haven't practiced integrating your pelvic floor into some of these functional movement patterns, then it's going to do nothing for you. And lastly about Kegels is most of us, well, I won't say most of us, some of us could get worse from doing excessive amounts of Kegels. So these are going to be the women with painful sex, constipation, urinary urgency and frequency, and then my athletes who leak, not necessarily my sneezing leakers, but my leaking athletes. Most of the time, that kind of subset, they actually need to learn pelvic floor muscle relaxation or how to let the pelvic floor muscles go. It would almost be like constantly holding a bicep curl and doing like little bicep pulses, but never straightening your elbow back out. Mm -hmm. And so it can just, it can make it worse. So bottom line, go see a pelvic floor therapist, get evaluated to know if you even need to do Kegels, <laughs> probably don't, and then be taught how to do them the right way. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot of pelvic floor therapists will like, um, hook you up to like biofeedback to like help you see the action that you're doing when you are performing a Kegel. And that can really help you to understand what is a Kegel and what is that motion if it, cause it's, it's a complicated movement. Mm -hmm. It's hard to understand for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we have biofeedback in the office too. The one that we have goes off of sound versus a computer screen, but basically we can either set it to beep like ding, 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 ding. When you do a proper Kegel or the, my favorite part is you can actually set it to beep only when you relax it properly. Mm -hmm. So you won't be quote unquote successful 
with the kegeling unless you're actually letting the repetitions go and that's i think that's even more helpful than the dinging when you contract the muscles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's so interesting when I learned about that, the relaxation piece, because I feel like, I mean, I'm definitely a very like highly anxious, tense person. And so I thought I should just be doing Kegels. And in reality, I needed to learn how to relax my pelvic floor. And I think a lot of people are like that. Like you mm-hmm. said, I mean, a lot of people have this tension and we just need to learn to relax. And it kind of is the same for every other aspect of our life. And it kind of translates to pelvic, the pelvic floor too. So, and Absolutely. that's so interesting, but yeah, we're just given this one size fits all advice to just do your Kegels and you'll be fine. Um, so you touched on this a little bit when you were talking about how you got started with pelvic floor um, therapy. And so you were talking about how, you know, you were trying to find out how much activity and what types of movements to do after giving birth. And there's so much contradictory information out there about, you know, when we should start exercising after we give birth and what kind of exercises are appropriate or maybe not appropriate. And so I'm curious if you have any, you know, quick thoughts or tips. Um, It's probably not something that can be generalized to anybody or to everybody, but maybe you could give us your thoughts on that. Certainly. I think the most important thing that you can do right out of the gates postpartum, and I'm talking like, you know, week one is to reconnect with diaphragmatic breathing. And the reason for that is when we're pregnant, everything late pregnancy gets so stretched out, our rib cage kind of starts to flare forward and outward a little bit. And that puts some strain on our diaphragm muscle, which is our main breathing muscle. And it kind of freaks out and forgets how to work when we have a baby. Cause it's like, you know, stretch, 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 stretch. Then suddenly the baby's out and your body and your diaphragm are just like, wait, what? I just spent all this time changing. And now, you know, I, I kind of liken it to if anyone's ever had like a knee surgery and they get out of surgery and their quad muscle doesn't work and you have to spend time just reteaching that quad muscle, contract, relax, contract. You don't start walking right out of the gates. Right. And so I start every single woman with, okay, let's make sure you know how to breathe the right way. And that's because that, the way that we breathe and the way that we manage pressures throughout our core is going to make the biggest difference in moving forward, how we start to rehab our body. When we start to go walking, are we still living in this rib flared kind of posture because we haven't ever turned our diaphragm back on? And if so, that's going to overwork our pelvic floor. And then, you know, we get our all clear at six weeks postpartum. Great. We're going to jump back into insanity. I don't know. Hopefully you're not going back to insanity workouts at six weeks postpartum, but anyway, your workouts. And if you haven't rehabbed your diaphragm, you're not going to breathe the right way in your workouts either. And then your pelvic floor is going to overcompensate and your lower back is going to overcompensate. And if you have any sort of diastasis recti, that, that rib flare or that kind of ribs pulling up and out is just going to put more tension on that separation and it can kind of make that worse. And I don't want to say any of this to scare women from moving because at the end of the day, most of the time movement's going to be better than being fearful and not moving. However, if you're going to do one thing, it's going to be learn how to breathe with your diaphragm. And I have so many videos on my Instagram, so go watch them and I'll teach you how to do it. But once you get that, your body will, will kind of remember, and you're going to be like, oh yeah, let me go to my workout. And your body will kind of automatically draw from that diaphragm and use the diaphragm the right way. So that would kind of be the, the first thing. 
that I would tell everyone to focus on. That's great. And I was going to ask you if you have any like tips for, for, um, proper breathing, but so go to Dr. Becky's Instagram. Your handle is Genesis PT wellness. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfect. She has videos there for you. If you want to go look, um, do you have any tips for, you know, what are things that, especially talking about new, new moms or, you know, postpartum women, they might not be new moms. You can be postpartum and still have these issues for years, but any tips for like daily kind of functional things like that, you know, if you're not going to the physical therapist right now, if you can't do that, what are some things that we can just focus on in our day-to-day life, especially related to, you know, parenting tasks and picking up babies and things like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Cause I'm like, do we have five hours for me to <laughs> tell you all the things? No. So big, big, big one is kind of sort of coming back to breath, but more specifically, a lot of us are holding our breath while we're going out and about doing our tasks, picking up the baby, picking up the toddler, lifting the groceries, um, vacuuming the floors, like all of these things. If you start to pay attention, you are likely going to notice you're going to catch yourself now that I brought it up and you're holding your breath. So you're holding your breath to lift your baby. You're holding your breath as you climb the stairs in your house to the second story. And over time, that chronic repetitive breath holding is just pushing, pushing, pushing down on your pelvic floor. And that can do one of two things that can either lengthen it and weaken it over, over time underneath that load, or sometimes your pelvic floor gets mad at you. And instead of just giving up and, you know, stretching out, it kind of reflexively says, well, I got to fight that pressure. And so then it'll tense up and then there's your tension problem, right? So if you can just think, um, you know, as you're going about doing your mom things, exhale with the harder part of the movement. So as you lift your child, exhale and lift or exhale just prior to the lift and through the lift. Try to catch yourself and see if you're breath holding because that little teeny tiny piece of advice is literally going to save all the pelvic floors unless they have like a more serious problem. But just for us normal people, do that and you will be saving your pelvic floor for the long run. My second piece of advice is drinking enough water. Mm. which is, you're like, what? You're a physical therapist, but water, water, water. It is usually the answer to everything. And you could aim for like half your body weight in ounces. So if you weigh a hundred pounds, you want 50 ounces a day, basically. And that will keep, you know, fluid levels. Well, that will kind of keep your gut going. So you don't get constipated, which your pelvic floor gets mad if you're constipated and it'll just, you just feel better when you drink enough water, just in general, it helps with mental health and clarity and fatigue and just all these things that us moms deal with. Yes, it does. It totally. And I'm so guilty of holding my breath. I've, since I've learned more about the pelvic floor and breathing, I've had to work so much on holding my breath because I, I literally will be going through the day and I'm, I realize I am short of breath right now and I haven't taken a breath in who knows how long it's, yes. it's so interesting, not so common. good for the body. Yeah. Ooh, this is a good question. We have some really good questions, Dr. Becky. What would ideal routine postpartum care look like in the U.S., in your opinion? Ooh, if the sky's the limit. I love it. So I would say, and I'm just going to make this up on the fly here based on what I would have liked and what my clientele would would benefit from. So 
I would say ideal postpartum care would start in pregnancy. You've already met with your uh, pelvic floor therapist and you've already talked through what the birth is going to be like, how to optimize labor and delivery, which of course, if you are avoiding unnecessary interventions in labor and delivery, and if you're decreasing your risk of tearing, those two things are going to optimize postpartum recovery, both physically and mentally. So it starts in pregnancy. Then you already have your lovely pelvic floor therapist that you connected with in pregnancy. And I, they, you know, they talked with you about, here's what I want you doing the first week and the second week. And then boom, two weeks postpartum, they're at your home. And they are asking you, first of all, how you doing? Because we all know first two weeks postpartum is rough mm -hmm. and they're checking on you mentally and physically. And they're checking on, you know, actually we, when we see our moms at two weeks postpartum, we actually give them a uh, postnatal depression kind of screen. That way we're catching it early, any of the early warning signs. So I think that's a major piece of it because a lot of times you're not seeing your provider until at least six weeks, maybe longer for some people. And so checking on your mental health, asking how the birth went, asking how breastfeeding is going, if you're breastfeeding, asking how is the pooping going? Everyone's always afraid to poop postpartum. And how's that going? Or is your pee normal? Like, you know, kind of early screening things of what sorts of issues could this woman be running into if she ended up in my office at six months from now and kind of catching it early and then following up regularly from there. So we've gotten in a pregnancy. We get, we get to you super early postpartum to kind of talk about how are you doing, talk about, make sure you're breathing with your diaphragm, um, rehabbing, you know, the right way with the right kind of breath and movement patterns. And then we continue the relationship regularly throughout kind of those early months. So I would say meeting, meeting with you guys like a couple times a month through the first three to six months, depending on symptoms. And that is just going to help guide, guide you basically to optimal recovery. So hopefully you're not in our office a year postpartum because you're quote unquote still leaking or sex is still painful. We catch it all early. And while it's kind of fresh, it's much easier to rehab. Mm -hmm. I love that. That sounds beautiful. <laughs> and you know, so many countries do postpartum care so much better than we do. And so that leads me to my next question. I got quite a few questions that were similar to this. So I'm going to kind of combine them all, but because unfortunately we don't have that level of care right now in the, in the States, um, you know, how do we make that happen? I'd love, I'd love to, to do that, but know. the reality is that right now we don't have that. And also that pelvic floor therapy can be expensive. Um, you know, even if your insurance is covering some of it, those co-pays can be pricey. Sometimes insurance won't cover it, or maybe some providers choose not to take insurance for whatever reason. So do you have any, um, so when I got a question, whether you have a workout program for moms, new moms, and then I was also asked if you have any workout programs or pelvic floor programs that you would recommend in the case that someone cannot see a pelvic floor therapist? Yes. So, well, to the first question, the answer to that is no, we don't have a program. It's something that is semi in the early stages of in the works. Ooh, so we're yay. trying to think about potentially making something. Um, but awesome. because we don't have one, I have some resources that I will, um, that I trust that I will give to like, you know, maybe I have my someone during pregnancy and I'll just say, Hey, try 
this program postpartum, you've already like during your pregnancy, we've been able to talk about the breathing. You're going to be able to know that and apply that to postpartum movement. Um, and so I don't know, would it be better to like add some links to this podcast or something, or is that even possible yeah, rather I than do me that. just that way, instead of me just trying to remember exactly what they're called and how to get to them, maybe we could add the links for everyone to go look sure. at them. Yeah, okay. I can do that. I can add that to the, to the description. Um, and then somebody did specifically have a question about Mutu. Is that, oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. is that a, a one that you would trust and recommend? I would you say, feel comfortable commenting on it. Yes, yes, yes. So I would say yes. Overall, that's a great system because it starts with focusing on the breath and focusing on kind of reconnecting the core and the pelvic floor kind of in simple positions and then progresses that over time, which is basically what we would do in the office as well. However, and this is not just with Mutu, this is with any system or any program, um, you are not going to have someone there telling you, yeah, that's the proper way to breathe or yes, you are doing it right. And so if anyone could swing it, it's always best to, if you're going to do these programs, at least go get one visit with a pelvic floor therapist. And that way we can explain to you the breath, diaphragm, and pelvic floor. And then you can take that and you'll get that in one session. You can take that, apply it to your program, and that would kind of set you up for success more than just jumping into any of any of these programs, even the, even the ones that I love. Um, you know, nothing, obviously nothing beats just having a specialist right there telling you you're doing it wrong or you're doing it right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because no matter what, you know, no matter how great the program is designed, it, there's no way for it to be individualized to the specific person. Um, that's great. So if you send me some of those links, I will post them in the description. Um, so for the women that are wanting to see a pelvic floor therapist, what are your suggestions as far as how to find a a good pelvic floor therapist um, and what to look for? Mm -hmm. I would say definitely ask around, ask your mom friends. Um, I guarantee you they've been to one. At least some of them have been to one. Um, Ask mom groups if you're on like any Facebook mom groups or anything like that. Um, Post in there because nothing is going to beat hearing kind of firsthand who someone recommends versus you just kind of stumbling through Google and hoping that you pick someone good. Now, Google can be good because you can go through their reviews. um, You can obviously look at their website. I would say when it comes to finding a pelvic floor therapist, you want a place that this is what we live and breathe. There are some physical therapy places that they're kind of your general outpatient orthopedics. Oh, but guess what? We also have a pelvic floor therapist here. Woo. Well, you don't want that. If you, if you have something as intimate as pelvic floor dysfunction, I'm telling you, you want to go to the place that this is what we love and this is what we live. And that's kind of one thing I would definitely look for in your Google search is, is it, is this all they do? This is all they do. And that's kind of going to cue you into they're most likely going to be good. Um, And another thing I would always check on is ask, call the place and ask, what is your training? Just just because someone took one course on how to do a pelvic floor exam doesn't mean they know what the heck they're doing, okay? Because unfortunately, at least in Texas where I am, unfortunately, there's no governing body that says to practice pelvic floor therapy, you have to do X, Y, and Z and pass X, X exam. So any physical therapist can say they do pelvic floor therapy, whether they've had a class or they haven't. And so always ask 
And a good one is going to tell you, well, maybe they have an actual certification, which that's always a good sign if they have a certification. But even if they don't have a certification, you want to hear that they've taken multiple pelvic floor courses and continue to do so. <laughs> So definitely red flag if they if they kind of say, yes, I've completed the level one pelvic floor course, I would just say great. Uh huh. Um, anyone else there that has more training or are you working with a mentor? Something like that. Those are great, great tips. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. What can I do to pre prepare the body for a VBAC or um, vaginal birth after cesarean? Yay. See a pelvic floor PT. <laughs> first of all, definitely. And of course, I don't know why you had a cesarean in the first place. Um, sometimes obviously there's plenty of medical reasons for a cesarean. Sometimes, unfortunately we have providers that maybe kind of push us to a cesarean or to more interventions, um, when we maybe wouldn't have really needed it, but either way, whatever the reasoning your pelvic floor can greatly affect how labor progresses. So if you're dealing with pelvic floor muscle tension, um, that is going to slow labor progression and it's going to slow dilation and it's going to make pushing the baby out of those tight muscles way harder. And so let's say, I'm not saying that this is this particular person's story, but let's just make an example of the stuck baby, right? So Sometimes the mom has pushed for two or three hours. It's coming up on 10 p.m. And the doctor might mention, well, it's, this baby is just stuck in there and let's just go ahead and do a cesarean, even though everyone's vitals are fine. You know, obviously I'm, I'm treading lightly here because there's certainly times where things are not fine and you need to go eat your cesarean and it saves lives, right? But there are times where maybe it wasn't necessary and there's some pressure there. So maybe that person had pelvic floor tension and had they known how to breathe right, how to push optimally, um, how to relax their pelvic floor, relax their jaw, that that could have made enough of a difference to get the baby out. And um, just knowing kind of how to control your body, even with an epidural, even with an epidural, you can do this, how to control your pelvic floor, control your body during labor, different positions during labor that we can show you. Um, all of that stuff is going to increase chances of VBAC now without me knowing your medical history, of course. That's not medical advice. <laughs> yes, nothing on this podcast is medical advice. Just a reminder. <laughs> That's great. That's great advice. I love how you brought that up, the tension aspect of it, because even, you know, just in preparing for birth, like if you, if you go through like a hypnobirthing course or something, it, you know, it, they talk so much about the physiological birth process and how, um, our ability to relax our body, including especially our pelvis and our pelvic floor is so important for the birth process. So I love that. And, and it's so good to know that there, here's another professional a pelvic floor therapist is probably the best person to be able to help you learn how to do that and, and help you practice that. Um, so you, what did you bring up? You just brought up something. Oh, there was a question about that. You said, you talked about relaxing the jaw. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about the connection between the jaw and the pelvis? Or the pelvic definitely, floor. definitely. So what we see a lot in the office is if someone generally deals with more pelvic floor muscle tension, so they're what we call like, you know, our, our tension holders or pelvic floor grippers, many, many times I'll kind of ask, does your jaw ever bother you? And they'll say, yes, I have like right-sided jaw pain or something, you know, and they feel like they might be like either 
grinding their teeth a lot, or they have like the clicking when they open and close, or it could just be that the muscle there just kind of always is achy and feels tight. Um, and so we see this hand in hand. And if you think about it, so without going into a physio physio physiology lesson, <laughs> um, when we are developing embryos in the womb, our vocal cords and jaw area develop with or out of the same um, materials as our organs and pelvis and pelvic floor muscles. And so that is just really cool, first of all, because mm -hmm. they develop at the same time together from the same embryological tissue, if you will. But then on top of that, like you can even just do this quick little thing right now, which I hope this isn't like too loud of my mic, but like if we're just sitting here and if, if you go and you kind of squeal, you'll feel your pelvic floor tighten up. And then if you go, uh, you'll feel it let go and open. And um, it's interesting because when our vocal cords are closed and tighter and holding more tension, which means our jaw is as well, our pelvic floor does the same. And then, so when our vocal cords let go and our jaw opens, relaxes, lets go, your pelvic floor does as well. So that's why like in a lot of labor or natural birth, you'll hear the mom making like the oh, sounds or like they're mm -hmm. moving like a cow. And that's because the body is trying to open the pelvic floor and relax as the baby comes out. And so it just, it's a really cool connection, honestly. And, and it's really cool whenever we make that connection for our patients in the clinic, because they're like, oh my goodness, you're so right. <laughs> that is so interesting. And there was actually another question about this. And I think it's a really great question. Do you happen to know if that this is also related to tongue ties? Like if there's a connection between tethered oral tissues and tension in the mm. pelvic floor? That's a very cool question. And I do not know the answer, but now I'm intrigued and I'm certainly going to have to research it yeah. because I, I would not be surprised, especially because tongue ties, they're so kind of genetic that I wonder if, you know, that could be leading to a lot of the, the muscle tension as well that we see genetically. So like, for instance, a lot of my patients will say, well, my mom has all this stuff too, you know, mm -hmm. all these same symptoms or, you know, things like that. And so it's so interesting. I don't know the answer, but I'm gonna have to look. Yeah. I'd love if you, if you do look into it, I'd love to know, yeah. maybe I'll look into it a little bit too, but it, ma it. it makes sense. It makes sense You're that it would be connected. <laughs> um, okay. Do you think this is a great question too? So many good questions here, guys. <laughs> Do you think pelvic floor issues are a root cause of a lot of postpartum mental health issues? Ooh, absolutely. I definitely could see that being a connection because depending on the pelvic floor issue, you may not be getting back into activities that you love. You may not be able to go at your six week or after your six week checkup back to your little mommy and me classes because you're still leaking or you have a severe, you know, diastasis recti. You might not be able to jump back into intimacy with your partner because it's painful. And so kind of this disconnect between what you have always been able to do, you know, pre-pregnancy, many times even throughout pregnancy. And then suddenly you had kind of these traumas, maybe in the birth or late pregnancy that are prohibiting you, prohibiting you from getting back to your normal or beloved activities. And of course we know that that's kind of a predisposing factor to, to some mental health issues for sure. Yeah. For, and I love how you brought up, you know, decreased 
basically it would be decreased satisfa satisfaction with life if you're not able to participate in all of the things that you love to do. And that's such like an occupational ther therapy thing, right? <laughs> but also, so we know that, we know that not being able to partake in the things that you like to do in your hobbies, even in just daily activities, maybe you don't even like to do these things, but not being able to, you know, um, pick up your child without having pain or discomfort, mm -hmm. things like that, that can all contribute to decreased satisfaction with life or quality of life. But we also know that just in and of itself, having pain decreases quality of life mm -hmm. and that could cause um, depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. So even if you do have pelvic pain, if you have pain with sex, if you just have some discomfort and pain on a day-to-day -day basis, that can totally impact your mental mm -hmm. health. Well, and it makes me think of, these, these women who feel so isolated because this is not talked about a ton either. So they think they're alone. They just yeah. think, well, my other friends are out there living their lives. They must not deal with what I'm dealing with right now. And so they just feel like, you know, it's just me. No one would understand my like issues must be so severe because it's, you know, none of my friends have this. And then it's this kind of cycle, you know, and it can just kind of spiral from there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking more too about, you know, if, if intimacy with your partner is an issue, then you really could feel isolated because mm -hmm. chances are your partner doesn't understand what you're going through, or maybe they're pressuring you or pushing you or feeling, um, you know, like they can't connect with you on an emotional level because they're not getting like maybe the physical connection that you need. You know, mm -hmm. I talk to moms about things like this all the time. It's not um, like, it's not a rare experience in a relationship, especially as new parents. And so that in and of itself, if you're not able to really emotionally connect with your partner, I mean, we can go on about this all day. There's so many <laughs> aspects that have the potential to impact mental health for sure. And it's just an area that's really not given as much attention as it really deserves. I think you already talked about this a little bit, but can, so this question says, can pelvic floor issues cause lower back pain? <gasps> yes. This is one of my favorite topics because I didn't know this prior to uh, becoming certified in women's health physical therapy. Um, there is one of my favorite studies from a couple years ago from 2018 that looked at a ton of women, tons, thousands uh, of women with chronic lower back pain or um, lumbopelvic pain, which essentially could be like low back or SI joint kind of that low back glute area, 95% um, of these women with this chronic low back lumbopelvic pain had pelvic floor dysfunction, were found to have pelvic floor dysfunction, 95% wow. of them. Wow. And a lot of times whenever I'm doing my like internal muscular pelvic exam, I cannot tell you the amount of times I'm touching one of the muscles and I'll kind of palpate it. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, that one kind of has a trigger point in it, or that one's more taut or tight. And they'll, they'll verbalize, oh, I feel that in my lower back, like that's my mm -hmm. lower back pain. And I'm like, yeah, like these muscles can refer pain up that way towards your lower back. And so, yes, they're certainly connected. There's actually a screening tool, um, that I can link here as well. And it's for lay persons, right? So it's for people who are non-medical, you can actually go and answer. So there's like 10 questions on there or something. And if three or more are positive, then pelvic floor dysfunction is likely. And so it's helpful for sometimes if you're like, I don't really know if I have it, but you know, how would I know? Or how would I know that, that this is my pelvic floor versus my SI joiner versus my back or something? You can do that little screening tool and, and it'll tell you. That's so helpful. Maybe if you wouldn't mind, you can send that to me and I can link yeah. that as well. Perfect. Perfect. 
Um, okay. Oh, this is a good one. Can you reverse damage to your pelvic floor, like for example, prolapse, or is it just a matter of maintenance? Great question. So it's going to depend. I would say the majority of the time, yes, you can um, make it way better to the point of completely reversed. It's going to depend. So with prolapse, there's different grades of it. There's grade one all the way to grade four. Grade four always needs surgery. Grade three most of the time needs surgery, but potentially could improve some with physical therapy to avoid surgery if they didn't want it. And then your grades one and two, they are non-surgical and they are the ones that will improve the physical therapy. Generally, we talk about being able to improve a prolapse by one grade. So with physical therapy. So if you're a grade two, generally we'll, we'll say, yeah, like we can definitely get you back to where you're grade one. The good news is grade ones are typically asymptomatic. You just have to know that everything that we teach you in here is kind of what you do for the rest of your life. So there's no more breath holding. There's no more bearing down on your pelvic floor to poop. Good news is, is we teach you how to poop without pushing. Uh, <laughs> one of my, my favorite things to teach. If you're an athlete, there is absolutely no more breath holding during heavy lifting, but it's not just us saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's literally me watching you in the gym and working with you as we are doing these heavy lifts. And I am helping you modify as we go. So you can learn how to still deadlift 200 pounds but you're just not having to resort to this kind of common like breath holding Valsalva maneuver to lift 200 pounds. So it's, it's a lifestyle, but it's not necessarily, oh, I can never do this again. It's, this is how I can do this again. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. And I think that's so helpful because I think a lot of times when we are thinking about, you know, physical therapy, but pelvic floor therapy specifically, we're thinking about, it's just about the therapy and the exercises and it is, and those are helpful, but it's also a lot of times about lifestyle and how you're moving throughout the day and how you're breathing and things like that. Wouldn't you say not Absolutely. just about the exercises because you can do the exercises, mm -hmm. but then if you're still breath holding and mm -hmm. bearing down and all of yep. this throughout the rest of your life, you might not see much improvement. Totally. I love that. Um, okay. I'll let's make this the last question. Cause I want to um, respect your time. Okay. <laughs> so thoughts on Mayan abdominal massage. Do you have thoughts on that? Oh, so yes and no. I know about it because some of my patients have asked me about it and they go to one and love it. What I don't know is I don't know enough to say, this is the evidence behind it, or it works in this way. Now I will say um, part of our scope of practice as a pelvic floor physical therapist is we can go on to learn abdominal massage and abdominal or visceral organs. So basically the organs in your abdomen, mobilization of those organs. And I don't know if they're super similar, but I do know that that from a physical therapist, should we go on to, to learn that as part of our pelvic floor kind of offerings, if you will, it's so, so helpful for many of our patients. So I would say, as long as you're not in pain while you're there doing it um, and you feel good after, I, I would say it's great, totally safe and could be a great like adjunct to pelvic floor physical therapy. Now, if your pelvic floor physical therapist has training in abdominal mobilization and visceral mobilization, you might not need both, but I don't know enough to kind of comment super in depth on that one. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. 
I, so I lied because I kind of want to ask you one more question because okay. that just brought up, I don't even know what Mayan abdominal massage is, but it brought up another question that I have for you. And I get this question a lot. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about postpartum belly binding. Oh, I'm because it's kind of controversial, this. right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So I would say for the general postpartum woman, it is absolutely unneeded. Now, there are some cultures who do kind of a ceremonial binding of the belly. They have practiced that for thousands of years in their culture. And it's not something that these women do for a long time. Typically, typically it's in those couple, those early days while they're settling in. And then they stop that to my understanding, but here in America where it's not part of our culture, a lot of times women are doing it because they think it will help, um, their abs not, you know, have a diastasis or something, or it's going to help their recovery in reality. A lot of times, just like anything else in the pelvic floor world, um, you're doing it wrong. So a lot of times they're too tight. And if you think of it like a stuffed sausage, like if, if I squeeze the middle of a sausage, it's all going to push down onto the bottom and the sausage is going to, or like the ground meat or whatever is going to squeeze and push out the bottom of the tube. Same thing. That's what you're doing with abdominal binding. You are wrapping something around your midsection and the pressure has nowhere to go, but down onto your pelvic floor that has just been through so much. Now that being said every now and then, Okay, so here's an example. One of my patients, this was her fourth baby, fourth cesarean section, and she had a known umbilical hernia, which is a hernia in the belly button, and a known pretty severe diastasis recti. She is someone who would benefit from the correct type of abdominal binding or support in the first couple weeks postpartum while I'm working with her. Mm -hmm. And, but I would just say in general, absolutely not skip it. You're better served by getting some sort of compression shorts or compression leggings that's going to compress from the bottom up. So like as you're pulling them on, right, you're getting support at the pelvic floor and then it kind of goes over your abdomen and belly and everything like that. So if you just think bottom up support versus squeezing in the midline or the midsection, that's going to be better. That's so helpful. So good to know. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Well, that is all we have time for, but thank you so much for joining us. Can you just quickly tell us again where we can find you? Yes. So my Instagram is Genesis PT wellness, and, um, we are in Dallas, Texas. So anyone here in Dallas, you can go to our website, genesispttwellness.com. We also offer virtual consults for anyone who's not in Dallas. We're happy to work with you guys virtually that way. Otherwise, those are kind of our, our main spots to find us. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Becky. Thank you. Great. So Thank helpful. you so much. Yay. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.